Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. We've got something very special for you tonight. I am Shad. I am here with Matt and Brad. Are you guys doing well this evening? I'm well. I'm well, Shad. <laughs> I'm glad you're not unwell. Brad, what about you? I am doing well as well. All right. Excellent. <laughs> We are here for uh, here with you all this evening. Well, we're recording it this evening. You could be listening to it in the morning, in the evening, at supper time, mowing the lawn, eating lunch, driving to or from work, whenever. We're just glad you're listening and that you're here with us. Um, we're going to do something a little bit different tonight. Well, different than what we've done. I'm sure someone else has done it. But we're going to be breaking down some of our favorite matches. Not just like, why do we like, like going in deep figuring out what we really like about it. And here's the thing. We want to hear from you guys. We want to, we want to hear what you guys think. Um, <clears throat> these, are, these are some matches that we enjoy that are some favorites of ours, and so we'd love to hear from you and get feedback on, do you agree? Do you think we're crazy off base? Are you going to say, you know, what in the blue hell are you doing um, liking this match? Or are you going to say, well, that sounds really cool. I want to check it out. <clears throat> and so... We'd love to hear from you on our social media platforms. I'm going to let Brad start us off. You can like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. That is the number four corners as a single word podcast. All right. Hitting us up on there. <clears throat> Drop us a line. Tell us what you think. The other place you can find us also uses the color blue, doesn't it, Matt? That's right. We are uh, on the Twitters. Uh, we are at Podcast Four Corners. That's capital P and Podcast. That's the number four in corners. At Podcast Four Corners. And you can t uh, converse with us, chat, DM, all of that good stuff. <clears throat> Sans controversy. Sans controversy. No we controversy on our Twitter feed. We, we, do, well, uh, we might have an opinion now and then that, that someone might say, but we haven't had any controversy. Right. We do not have the controversy. And so uh, we're looking forward to it. And then we're also on Instagram, which do it. Um, we're on there as the number four corners podcast, all mashed together because there's no spaces, no caps, because it's Instagram. And why bother with grammar? Um, <laughs> you know, comment, like, subscribe, um, follow, whatever you want to do. We'd love to hear from you. And we've got a couple other things that we want to get out of the way. One of them is that when you sit down to watch a great match, when you sit down to watch a match that just tugs on the heartstrings of your soul, you want to be wearing something that is conducive to you being able to enjoy that match, something that makes watching that match comfortable enough that you don't even have to think about it. Which is why we are not partnered with Jimbo's all-natural hayseed boxers. We are instead an affiliate with Collar and Elbow. Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand started by Al Snow. Gear for wrestlers and wrestling fans by wrestlers and wrestling fans. If you use the promo code, the number four, Corners, capital C and Corners, capital P and Podcast. So it's Four Corners Podcast, no spaces, capital C, capital P. You'll get 10% off your order. They have some new shirts out there that look great. I know all the guys here are fans of them. I know Matt's wife's a fan of them. I know my wife's a fan of them. I don't know if Brad has mentioned whether or not his wife's a fan of them or not. But they're quality. They're, they're great. They're great shirts. They're great gear. 
And they're good guys, too. Pause for breath. <laughs> <laughs> and then, a guy that I, that we have offered to buy a collar and elbow shirt for, if we hear from him, who would that be, Matt? Oh, that would be Epico Clone. Uh, shout out to Epico. Uh, he survived <laughs> so far in Game of Thrones. I, uh, <laughs> I don't know that he's in Game of Thrones, <laughs> but... Uh, I think he survived the massive White Walker army. Oh, uh, that's for those of you out there who watch Game of Thrones, as I do. <laughs> I love that. Maybe man. he can. Maybe he can take the Iron Throne. Who knows? Oh man, Epico on the Iron Throne. That would be that would be better than the Captain Kangaroo on the Iron Throne meme that I saw. There was a. a, a Comic Con I was at um, a couple of months ago. They one place had an Iron Throne as a, a photo op, mm-hmm. and um, I think the one that amused me the most was to see a Santa Claus sitting on the Iron Throne with <clears throat> his sword, and then a metal clipboard that read on the back the list of Santa in full Chris Jericho style. <laughs> but Epico would be better. You're right. Okay, so we're getting right into it. We've been we said we were going to sit down and we were going to talk about some of our favorite matches. We've got three matches we're going to talk about tonight, um, and these are all available on YouTube for you to watch. That way, if you hear about this and you're like, "Man, that sounds really good. I want to see that," you can go look it up. These are available to you. And what we decided to do is go through these in chronological order, from oldest to newest. <clears throat> so, the first one, um, you know what, Matt? Uh, I'd, uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce this this first match for us? Yeah, uh, this is the very very first one. Uh yeah, I think so. Okay, this was. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on the date. Wasn't this from nine twenty three eighty one? I just looked it up okay. because I realized we were doing <clears throat> a Japanese match, and the um, the dates are very important when you talk about Japanese yeah, matches. Because when I was actually looking this up, there was a 79 one, but I did not think it was that because that uh, it was much shorter. But this uh, this is, as Brad said, this is from 9-23-81, so September 23rd, 1981. So almost a 40-year-old match. Uh, it's Stan Hansen, Stan the Lariat Hansen versus yep. Andre the Giant. For those of you who aren't aware, like Andre, Andre got around in some of the places that he worked uh, before he went to the WWF. Was uh, some of the Japanese promotions? This was uh, all Japan, I believe, because no, it was new. It was New Japan. Uh, there's a. It got mislabeled, but it was New Japan because I'm pretty sure. Um, pretty sure this is when Hanson was working for like New Japan for a couple years. Wow, I always just associate him with All Japan. Yeah, there was like, so he he's pretty much always been All Japan, but there was like, I think a two or three year period where he worked for New Japan. Hmm. Right. So this is a match between them. I don't know. I don't know what what type of show this was on. I don't know if it was like a big show or anything. I don't know how this match got booked. I don't know if there was hype for it. I don't know any of those that background. All I know is it's Hansen versus Andre. And it is fucking fantastic. It is badass. It's. I will set this up for folks because obviously, uh, WrestleMania three, Andre versus Hogan. That's the most famous match Andre was ever in. From like a historical perspective, 
that's the biggest match he's probably ever been in. It's what he'll always be remembered for um, in terms of actual like match quality and just like it blowing your mind. It's this match. This is the best Andre match I've ever seen. And like yeah, Andre, Andre isn't just. I mean, even sadly to say, like just, even if just a few years later at WrestleMania three, he was already kind of br- starting to break down, like pretty significantly. Started having like a lot of mobility issues, but he couldn't. But he was fucking moving around like nobody his size should have been moving. Like he was quick. Yeah. He had agility. Mm-hmm. It was. He had what's really crazy, and we can go into it like in depth. He was. He was doing some really actually like smart psychology in the match, which is not something you would see out of a Andre match usually. Usually, it was preach just it, him, brother like, Matt. Preach pum- it. <laughs> it was usually just him like pummeling guys, like forcing them into a corner, and just like you know using his body against them. But he was working over Hanson's arm at one point. Uh, it's just it's amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. Like first off, it starts off and. It really it starts off with the two of them just like immediately going at it. I mean, not just yeah. like let's do a nice little collar and elbow tie up. No, like, they just like yeah, they're just like fucking on. Oh yeah, they just start throwing bombs at each other. I and Andre, appreciate. Andre, uh, uh-huh. I'm sorry, man. I want to jump in because I'm excited about this one too. I appreciate at the beginning that that Hanson was the one that got aggressive first. Yeah, because that let Andre feed into him a little bit and say like no this is stan hansen he's hurting andre when he hits him yeah i'm i didn't mean to step on your point oh there. no no, no and well first off let's talk about how like look it, this isn't uniformly true um and certainly crowds can always be different and uh, japanese crowds are like any other crowd where if they're into something they're really excited about something you know they'll cheer they'll get into it but generally like Japanese crowds, for the most part, aren't kind of be like, aren't necessarily going to be like American crowds where they're just like people shouting shit at the wrestlers and things like that. They're slightly more subdued, um, but they do cheer. But this, at the beginning of this, this was like as hot as I have ever heard a Japanese crowd. It was crazy, wasn't it? They were, they were hot for this match. Like they were just like on their feet, like electrified. Yeah. Uh, And it's just intense. Like they, I, I didn't do like a match by match um, thing in my notes, but I just I, some I, things I noted. If you if you can interject, if you have like yeah, I, I did actually. Um, and it's 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 like we said, it starts off hot. And I gotta ask Brad, was the build to this that like Andre and Hansen had killed each other's dogs or something? No, <laughs> um, basing it on what I've seen of Japanese wrestling, and this is based more on all Japan, but they both kind of worked together. They just would bring people in. Like they would announce at the start of the tour, the guys they're bringing in. So Andre probably came in on this tour and they booked this towards the end. And, you know, Hanson being Hanson, they just went. They just went balls out. But I mean, and, and the crowd probably just picked the guy that's there all the time. And they're more familiar with. So that's probably why they were so pro Hanson because he was like a fixture in Japan sure. this time, but still, it you know on the other hand, it's it's flipping Andre. So, like we said, the match starts and Hanson just goes at Andre. He's just hammering on him, right? He wastes no time, and and Andre like feeds into it. He's like, oh, you know, when he's selling and he's backing it off, and then <clears throat> 
Andre gets in and puts Hansen in a bear hug, and Hansen fights his way out of it. Like, hammers Andre enough to get him to turn loose. Well, he was, like, so, grabbing at his face, too. Yeah, he's, like, mm-hmm. pushing his head back and, like, punching him and, and, like, forearming him and stuff. And then, as they're going, all of a sudden, this is the thing that blew my mind. Like, I'm not saying... I'm, I'm, I've never said Andre couldn't work. I know Andre could work. You have to be really good to be a good big man. And even if it looks kind of lazy, you still got to be really good to do that and have it look good and be convincing, right? Like, Big Show has got got better as he got older, and he got better at doing that stuff. And it, it kind of goes back to our, our last episode with the the uh, old versus new, like doing less, doing more with less kind of thing, right? Yeah. Andre was really good at that stuff because, you know, he didn't have to. But in this one, all of a sudden, like Hanson's hammering at him, Andre steps in and flipping key locks or no, he Kimura's Hanson. Like he he goes, Andre goes technical. Yeah. Andre the Giant goes technical in this match first. It was the it's damnedest not, thing. I know. It's not even that. um it's not like Hanson like locked him up and Andre was going to be like, I, I can show you I can do this too. Andre did it first on Hanson's lariat arm. Yep. From the beginning. And that's what I loved is like right there at the beginning, he does this and, and Hanson's coming at him. He's just like, give a damn how big you are, I'm coming at And Andre's like, oh, you know, uh, well, I know he likes it. He's really good with that lariat. Let's take that out of the equation. He hooks that in. And he spends most of the match trying to take that arm out. And I was just blown away by this, right? It's not that I didn't think Andre could do it. I just didn't expect him to. What what I thought was really kind of stood out about this match and some other matches have it, but there was a there was a real like level of grime to this match. Like they're clearly like there's clearly not any like potatoing or sandbagging going on. But they give this level of it almost feels like they're kind of not cooperating with each other. Yeah, there there was that kind of feeling where they obviously they were working with each other, but it they blurred the lines where it almost seemed like they were doing some sort of like shoot or at least like a work shoot. It it got it got intense. It it was rough enough, mm-hmm. right? It, you, you know, you watch it and they're not they're not hurting each other. Yes, Pips is here. She's a she was a fan of this match too. She sat and watched it with me. Um, that's why she's trying to get her words in, but, um, you know, they, they're, they're going like seriously roughneck and they're working snug and, you know, well, I mean, it's, yeah. handsome, so of course, and that, but Andre's giving it right back. <clears throat> um, and it's, it, man, that's, that's really, that gets you more invested, right? Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. I love watching really athletic stuff, and you do cool things, and then it's like, oh, they're going to do the Tower of Doom. That's going to be a big thing. Like, that's cool, but it doesn't get you invested the same way stuff like this does. Yeah, and it, yeah, I was kind of blown away because by the the psychology aspect, uh, like you said, like Andre Andre didn't usually work that sort of style. In fact, I don't think I had ever really seen him do it. It's because he didn't really have to. Yeah. Um, Usually he was booked differently. Like I mean, he also came from that kind of that kind of era, which I don't know if a lot of modern day people really follow that philosophy. Some people do, um, but it's like you do you do only as much as you need to. Kind of that that was like the mentality. It's like I'm not going to do like five flips if I can get more heat 
by just bailing out of the ring and like strolling around the ring and like getting some cheap heat from the fans doing that. Yeah. Like, and and your career is going to be longer <laughs> if you're good at that too. Yeah. So Andre usually just he didn't have to do that sort of thing, but it made it was in the context of this match, it was perfectly logical for him to go after the lariat arm. And it was crazy. And how about this? Like right after he was kind of working over the arm, uh, he does a fucking suplex yeah. on Hanson. Yeah. And I mean, folks, like like a suplex like you would ordinarily see, like a regular suplex or a souple for Soli. Uh, <laughs> the the Soli fans, yeah. Yeah, it's a straight vertical suplex. Yeah. And um, that that also brings up something that – and I, I want to bring this up because – just to reinforce how good Andre was <clears throat> in this match, Andre was so good at finding transition spots that didn't make didn't make himself or Hanson look stupid. Like Andre would do something and miss, and Hanson would be able to like get a hope spot and come up and start hammering away, right? But it didn't make Andre look like an idiot for it, and he just found little spots to do that with. I will say and, I will say he did make a huge tactical error when he went to the Irish whip that really kind of reversed oh, yeah. his fortunes in this match. Yeah. But that's that's the thing, is like you don't let you don't let Stan Hansen start running. That's that's gonna be bad for you. Yeah. Um and the other thing, like they do the transition spots and so they don't look stupid and it's like a logical progression. Like, of course Andre would try and do that. And Hanson gets out of the way and starts being able to get over on him. But it's not like, like oh, Andre only did that, so Hanson, right? Like, it makes it would make logical sense in an actual contest. The other thing they did that they were so good at, and Andre was really good about this because he was kind of dictating the pace on it, um, was the fact that he, he was spacing things out mm-hmm. so that the crowd had an opportunity to either be mad at Andre for pinning Hanson down or to be just psyched because Hanson just got loose and got all over Andre before Andre got a hold of him again. And, you know, it's, it's, I know I've mentioned it before, but if you don't ever stop and let the crowd breathe and enjoy and respond to what they just saw, you're, you're either going to wear them out or you're going to make them bored. Cause it's just like, okay, okay, okay. Right. But they space it out enough that it's like, okay, all right. You know, like they do some stuff and then Andre hooks that arm again and they stop and breathe. And the crowd's just like, get him, Hanson. Well, however Japanese crowds do it. But, you know, get him, Hanson. And then Hanson gets loose and he gets in on Andre and Andre backs up and they're like, go, Stan. And, you know, there's there's gaps in for it to breathe in the middle of it. Can we also talk about the body slam? Yes. There is, there's an amazing spot. I mean, I know everyone, I know Hulk Hogan likes to act like that's the first time Andre has ever been slammed <laughs> before. All right. All right. Um, but in this match, there is a spot where Hanson body slams Andre, and it's it's incredible. Like, it's, Andre gets, like, a lot of air on that. Mm-hmm. And then doesn't Hanson just start dropping knees on him? No, he goes for an elbow and misses, and then they're both kind of, like... You got a double down spot. So, like I said, you said he does his awesome body slam. He misses the elbow, and they're both down. And that lets it breathe because the crowd can be like, oh my God, Stan Hansen just body slammed Andre the Giant. That was so cool. Right? 
because you want to let the crowd do that because then you're not stepping on them being excited. Well, okay. it was well-timed, too, because it felt like they they had it feel like Hanson was about done, and then he kind of comes off the ropes with that kick and slams him, and then it's like he suddenly has life again. Yeah. He, he got some breathing room. Oh, man. Oh, and... um. And after after the slam, Hansen went into a camel clutch on Andre, mm-hmm. which makes perfect sense. What are you going to do to Andre to try and keep? Camel clutch makes you know because it's. I'm, I'm pausing for a second. Yeah. Jump in if you want. Crazy this. Um, but then they start they start brawling again, and then they go outside the the ring, and I guess they basically both get counted out. The match gets thrown out. Yeah, that was that was and so that was standard procedure for all Japan and New Japan until like the mid '80s. Okay. Yeah. So they they are they're brawling. They like go outside with the brawling, and either they get counted out or they get um the match gets thrown out. I don't know which because the audio is in uh it's in Japanese. I'm but, pretty right. sure it's a count out. Okay. I thought count I out. thought just Andre got counted out from the way Hanson was responding. No, but I don't know. Go ahead. It, it doesn't matter that much. That's yeah. usually that's usually that was a pretty classic like, um. <clears throat> double count out from that time frame okay now yeah so i i, I want to comment ahead. i want to comment um one thing i love about watching old footage from japan in like the 70s and 80s and even in the 60s is they shot their shows so much better than america did like it looks it looks as good as stuff from like the 2000s and if you watch yeah. like stadium stuff that was shot by promotions in the 80s and the in the U.S., it looks like garbage compared to this. The camera's too far back, and uh, you can't. It's it's hard to see what's going on. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. That's a really good point, Brad. Uh, you mean they didn't do the preferred the 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 quality uh, method of shooting wrestling by doing complete jump cuts over and over <laughs> and over? Yes. Uh, yeah, uh, Chad, why don't, yeah, why, why don't you look at the message I just sent you? <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> Bucky Beaver time. <laughs> That's true. Uh, God, uh, that in fairness, that is actually a very good point that that Brad is making. Like the yeah. quality of just the way they shot this, just the the camera angle choices, uh, and just overall the. I, I want to call it cinematography. It's not cinematography, but just overall, like the angles they use and how they did shoot it, it was quality. I mean, this, again, this is a match that's almost forty years old. And but... it looks it looks better than it looks better than some WCW footage from like the early nineties. Yeah, the one that I had in mind was the first Starcade. It looks amazing. The first the shooting in the first Starcade looked like crap. Really, it was too far back. It was not, uh, you know, the lighting wasn't good either. Like, no. it was so far back, the lighting wasn't good. It, 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 but this, you could see very clearly what was going on. It was just far enough back for you to be able to see 
the whole ring, but it wasn't so far back that you were losing what you were watching. Well, and I mean, I'm pretty sure they are shooting with better cameras, too. That would make sense. I mean, and it is Japan in the early 80s, so I'm pretty sure their their video technology was probably better at the time. Because <laughs> people weren't buying the the new uh, new technology yet. Well, I, I'm sure someone could break it down technically. I think promotions were still doing stuff on, like, 20 millimeter. Or, oh, like, wow. some, like, really antiquated thing from, like, the 60s as, as far as this goes. Because if you watch, like arena footage from like even the AWA or something it looks like crap and this looks like what like the t like what like the techwood shows look like if you watch old like stuff from like that yeah TV studio stuff so it just looks really good like if you watch this you would think it was probably from like the mid 90s yeah that would make sense yeah and um you know we had the uh, I'm going to go back to the match. Matt pointed out that, you know, we had the count out on the outside. Hanson's on the inside, like, no, nah, bring it on. Come on, come and get it. And it's uh, the crowd's chanting, and I don't know what they're chanting, but in my head it's labeled, let them fight, let them fight, let them fight, right? Yeah, so it, you think the match is over here, but it's not. No. No, Andre gets back in the ring. And he says something, he's like arguing with like the ref, whatever, and he basically forces the match to continue, right. which I was like, whoa, like that's, I didn't know that they were going to go that direction, but they continue and it's still awesome. Yes. They just start going at it again. And I don't know if you caught this, Shad, but there's a point where like Andre has, uh, has Hanson in the ropes and yeah. he chops him. And I was like, oh, fuck. I don't know if that was... I don't know if that was fake or not. Like, that looked pretty snug. Like, that looks... Let's see. Like, he kind of lit him up a bit. Yeah, yeah. I heard that slap. Well, because first Andre did the tie in the rope spot. And then Andre put put, uh, Hanson in the tie in the rope spot. And Andre's hits just... You know, you look at Andre the Giant, and he's a big dude, and since he didn't have the thing with his pituitary done, you know, he just, like, he kept growing and stuff. He didn't look like a normal human being, for lack of a better term, right? And so you look at him, and you're like, Andre hits you. Of course, it's going to hurt, but in hits sound not like the 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 you get from like chops and stuff that you see on TV right now, but did you just sound like these big clubbing blows, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we uh, I think we got to see uh, Andre do the first headbutts in the match uh, after that, mm-hmm. and he goes back to the arm. Like after it's been restarted, he goes back to the arm. He also he goes and surfboard. Yeah, he also body slams uh, Hanson, uh-huh. and Stan fucking bounced. Yeah, <laughs> he landed. I mean, I swear to God, folks, he like bounced like two, three inches off the, yeah. the mat. Like it was something. Yeah, man. Uh, Andre does all that. He he gets the slam you mentioned. Then Andre misses the splash, and Hanson misses the elbow. So we get this double down time, right? And then the crowd's like, "Oh man, what happens next?" You know what happens next. Yeah. Yeah, man. 
What happens next? Uh, well, I don't know if it, this was immediately after that. I forget, but I know that uh, when Andre is back up, like Hanson goes for the lariat and he nails Andre with it, and Andre just goes flying outside the ring. Yeah. Andre gets the lariat so hard, he goes through the ropes to the floor. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, oh, man, he, Hanson's just in the ring. like, ah, you know, all fired up like Hanson gets. After his big move, not only took down Andre the Giant, but knocked him out of the ring. Mm-hmm. And it's just, man, that was, that was a really cool moment. And then Andre <laughs> comes back in the ring. With an elbow pad on his arm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he gets back in there with the elbow pad on his arm. Like he's going to Larry at Hanson. But he never gets the chance. He tries to. And he clubs the ref with it. Yeah, he it just breaks down from here. And he like he fucking clocks the ref. <laughs> yeah. With like a was it like a clothesline or something? Yeah, because he had the yeah. he had the, um, the elbow pad on like Hanson does, and I was like, "What the hell?" I've <laughs> never seen Andre just like I like fuck it. I'm not going out to the ref now. <laughs> it was insane. I know, and it that's is- pretty much like the end of the match because I mean it, yeah. it just completely broke down at this point. But it was like what a match. It's crazy. I was really. It was surprising, but it was also really cool to watch. What what yeah. I think what astounds me from this match is the first this isn't the first time I've watched this, but the fact that it grabs you from like the first second and doesn't let go the entire time. Oh yeah. That's that's it, it just hangs on and you ride this it's like riding a bull. You're just trying to hang on the whole time and see what happens. This was Again, I've like gushed for this about this match for the last like twenty minutes or so, but um, I was just thinking like this match is again almost forty years old, and it is amazing and it holds up to today. And I was just like contemplating because I was after I watched this match, I was thinking like last year, the Walter PCO match uh, from Janela Spring Break mm-hmm. kind of like revitalized the career of PCO, and that match isn't. I, I kind of I like the match a lot actually, but it's more of like a spectacle because it's you know, two big dudes in there and PCO doing things to almost kill himself. Right. But that was something that that really got a lot of like interest from people, and again it kind of like hyped PCO to the point where now I mean he's he's winning tag championships and he's got a his career has a resurgence. But I was thinking like about that match and how like if if this match. If like these two guys were somehow alive today, like not well, Hanson's alive. You know what I mean? Like they're they're right. like people who were like contemporaries. They were they were of this moment, right? And they had this match anywhere, like Japan, uh, in the Indies or something like that. And uh, they weren't already big stars. A match like this would would have fucking made them. They would have been instantly like like indie darlings overnight. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, incidentally, I just wanted to say, I think PCO trying to kill himself, we can just refer to as PCO doing PCO things. (laughs) I want to say, I dare anyone to watch this match and to come out of it saying you can look at Andre the Giant the same way. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Like we said, we, we, we all three said it in the course of this. 
we knew Andre was capable, but you didn't expect to see it. And he just did such a good job with it. Man, it was really cool. It was fun to watch. So, if, yeah, that was really special. I know we don't throw snowflakes around on this show, but I would I would unironically give this five stars. You know what? I'm actually, I, I would be there with you. It's it's everything. It's like a spectacle, but it's also, there's psychology, there's brawling. Uh, it's super hot from beginning to end. It's just, a, it's a fantastic match. It is. I would, I'd, I, I don't know. I'd throw it somewhere between four and five, and I'm not sure where, because honestly, I don't think about snowflakes much. So would it be a five? Maybe. Would it be a four? Maybe. Would it be somewhere in between? I'm not sure, but it would definitely be up there. So that was, that was a lot of, I enjoyed that a lot. Oh, it made me like ache to watch it just thinking about taking those shots. But (laughs) Um, for those that we should add that for anyone who actually is listening to this, who wants to watch the match, it is easily available on YouTube. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's in. Yeah, just search. It's in two. Don't watch the one in two parts, not the one that's complete, because the complete one is garbage video quality. And the one Mm. that's in two parts looks really good. Yeah, it does. It's about DVD quality, so. Watch that but one. But it's it, yeah, it, it, it's super easy to find. Just do stand like search for Stan Hansen, Andre. Yeah, like it, yeah. that should get you what you need. Yep. Okay. the uh, The next match that we were doing is I it was my recommendation. This is one of my favorite matches. Um, I think it was it was ninety eight, right? I think it, I believe it is three twenty three nineteen ninety eight uh, edition yes. of Nitro. So part of the part of the reason. That I was, I, I, this took place close to my birthday and close to where I lived, even though I was not there for it. But I did watch oh, it. I was going to ask you if you were at this Nitro. My brother was. Okay. And, you know, and, 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 God, I, I'm still not sure I've forgiven him for that. Because <laughs> that Nitro was really, it was packed full of really cool stuff. But this match was Sting versus Diamond Dallas Page for the World Heavyweight title on Monday Nitro. Mm-hmm. This was in the height of the NWO era. This was also, just to give you an idea, one of the other matches on the show was the Giant versus Nash and Hogan in a handicap match that ended with the Giant choke slamming Eric Bischoff. <laughs> Which was so cathartic, you know? So I um, I just want to make a quick comment. I tried to track down their Nitro match from 1999, and I couldn't find it. And I remember that one being fairly good, too, because I wanted to compare and contrast, but I couldn't find it. And I was sad. Okay. Well, that that's actually going to come back up later. So we'll get there. Um, well, the first or the second off that Nitro. Because that Nitro, there were... It was a four-way. That match happened twice. I thought it was like a four-way that he lost it in later, or like a multi there was a there was a four man that had both of these guys in it, but it was a Spring Stampede '99. Because Savage came on at the end and was like, "I'm going to be the special referee or something." That was for Spring Stampede '99. Yeah, yeah. Because it was Savage saying, "Because it was Hogan, Flair, DDP, Sting, with Savage as the guest referee." Okay, I uh, I have vague recollections of the first match. I don't remember how DDP won it back at the end of that show, but we'll get there. Uh, I think the answer on that was shenanigans because that was in Paige's heel stage. Yeah. But 
This match was DDP versus Sting. Sting was the world heavyweight champion. DDP was the U.S. heavyweight champion, even though he didn't have the title at the time because Raven had attacked him on Total Request Live with a stop sign to steal the belt, and that's one of the most 90s things I've ever said. Oh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and just a quick side note to that, I I did after this, I watched the Goldberg-Raven match from about, like, about a month later. And yeah. Oh my god, like, Goldberg was over as fuck for that match. Oh yeah, yes, he was. was. Like, yeah, that's probably a... the height of his overness. Like, that crowd was just rabid for that whole match. I I, I might say his, his match against Hogan in the Georgia Dome was his height, but I'm not going to argue how over... There were some people saying, oh, he's not over, and they piped the chance in. Not at that time. You go back and watch it. No, that crowd... That, that crowd, like was on its feet when he pinned Raven and like when he slammed like Reese and stuff and like no sold the, the, um, stop sign. Like that crowd was just losing their, yeah, their minds. That's, that's another case of spectacle. Like we were talking about with, uh, Hanson Andre, that was a spectacle, but this match DDP versus sting for the title. Um, this was a baby face, baby face match, which is hard to do. I would say Sting worked a very subtle heel in this, and the structure made him like subtle heel, but like it wasn't obvious, and they stuck. They played it pretty straight. I would say. Oh well, they kind of both had a little bit of that because if Sting was doing a little subtle stuff, Page was doing the "I'm getting frustrated," not really, but maybe heelish leaning kind of stuff. But he was, he was really babyface, babyface. You do babyface, babyface, you're going to have a little bit of heelish stuff sneak its way in. That's just how that kind of match works. Yeah, you kind of you kind of have to have one of them kind of almost take the role of the heel. And kind uh, of. Even if they're not truly in right. that role. Yeah. And it may trade off during the course of the match, too. What, what I really liked here is I thought the um, the opening lockup really, I think, set the pace for the rest of the match with them like going out of the ring and still kind of like the ref kind of having to be like, come on, guys, like, knock it off. Yeah, they were in that opening lockup for, like, two minutes. Yeah. The crowd is, like, incredibly hot for this. Yeah. Uh, part of that, I think, is because both guys are pretty over. Sting was, like, like insane over yeah. on this in this match. Um, everyone was kind of hot, uh, like, around this period. It, I was... Go ahead. I, I was going to say, I really like that... This is, like, the old school, like, there's not that bullshit, like, chanting for both guys the crowds do, like, that that kind of, oh, like, yeah. pantomime, like, shit that crowds do now that I don't care as much oh, for, like, yeah, this like was, the... like... Oh, yeah, let's... Yeah. Let's go, DDP! Like, yeah. it's like, yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to also add, um, and... This is just a whole bunch of good old Kentucky folks just shouting the whole time. I unfortunately the version on YouTube doesn't have it, but I wanted to say like I really miss um, uh, I uh, I really uh, miss DDP's um, oh, Nirvana ripoff entrance music. Yeah. Oh yeah, I caught that. Yeah, because this has the this doesn't have the smells like Team Spirit ripoff. This has the the network overdub music on it. Yeah. And yeah. it it doesn't really it doesn't work. Like, it doesn't fit, you know? No. I, um, watching, watching this, I was kind of... It had me reminisce about the, the kind of rise of DDP. Because, I mean, I was very intently watching WCW at this period. And it seeing him 
his kind of face turn, his like slow face turn, and then the feud with Savage and him kind of getting bigger and bigger to like him moving up the card was actually kind of fascinating because it was entirely it seemed entirely organic yeah and and it was crazy because if you think about it like this was in this was from march 1998 like five years before he's like a jobber and maybe like the curtain jerker match uh on a pay-per-view well i mean we talked it well i guess that was only three years before but you know we talked about matches he had with like um Buff Bagwell and uh, Mark Marrow from from mm-hmm. a little, you know, from a little before that, that were good, mm-hmm. but God, people hated his guts, and it may, I mean, like you know, he was a really good heel, but then you got to see kind of this, like the rise of DDP as a face came out of I think him, whenever Hall and Nash came out to recruit him, and he dropped them, like yeah. they came out to recruit him, and he diamond cuts them and, and takes off. There was a few different elements to it. Part of it was that. Part of it, I also think, was that people really started to appreciate the fact that he was actually putting on good matches. And it's clear like he was... He's clearly a guy, one of those guys that if you are a wrestling fan, you watch it for any kind of length of period, you can see when guys are actually progressing, get better by putting mm-hmm. in work. It, uh, Sa- yeah. Savage totally like put him over the top, though, when he beat him at... Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Halloween Havoc. No, Spring Stampede. He Spring lost. Stampede. He lo- he actually DDP. I don't think only beat him one time after this. Like their rematches, Savage tended to win. The only other time he won is actually one of my favorite um, all-time wrestling moments is when DDP dresses as Laparka. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. That the whole feud was Page has Savage beat and NWO shows up. So Paige had but, two pinfalls. One of them was the the reversal out of the body slam, um, and then the other, like you said, was the Laparka thing, which was so cool. But it bears to be said, though, their match at Halloween Havoc is actually fucking awesome. Yes. Oh yeah. Yes, it is. So yeah, Randy really did a solid. Like Randy knew, like I can I can make this guy, I can get him over, and he seemed completely down for it so that's that was amazing i think another thing that's key is it really kind of does show you how a really good cool protected finisher can help get a guy over oh yeah i used to love though like the the strange ways he would just figure out how to um do that move on people yeah yes oh i loved it it was a that that is part of why I was such a big DDP mark is I loved the way the diamond cutter he could just he could do it from anywhere and it was always this you know you're just it could happen at any time just bam there when we're done my my favorite though was when I, I know he did, I know he did it to psychosis once but him hitting it off the top rope or like there on the top turnbuckle was always my favorite like variation oh wow yeah. Um, my favorite was just the like somebody goes for a thing, Paige gets loose and then just grabs them and drops them because mm-hmm. you had like this split second of oh, here it comes and then and then bam it hits. Uh, I loved those. Yeah. Uh, now, okay. What I loved about this match though is um, this had they did the very like it's a more old school like that slow championship like start to it where they're both just kind of feeling each other out you know Paige is trying to wear him down Mm -hmm. like with you know the headlock and i like the 
guys don't even do this anymore where like Paige would do that thing where he'd like kind of like lift himself off the ground just to give it a little leverage for that moment to make give it that extra little oomph. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually now that you mention it, I do I did love that sort of thing and you don't really see that nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. And and I like That was I like that Paige like kind of didn't do his normal spots like he he worked a very much more map based like I need to wear this guy down cuz this match could go a long time like I need to set up my usual stuff a little better because I want to win this like world title. Yeah. To me, it had kind of not not like a desperation from Paige, but it definitely was like he was serious. And when he, it, he wasn't putting Sting away, it seemed like he started it, the, some sort of frustration started to build. They really told a really good story here what? with uh, with. Well, it was ultimately that, not even that long of a match. I th- that feeds into a point that I did want to make real quick. I'm sorry. I know I'm jumping on you, Brad. I don't mean to, but the commentary for this match did. Shivani, Mike Tanay. but did a great job highlighting those things. And Zabisco's talking about, you know, Paige is so wound up, it looks like he could just walk through a wall right now. And, like, the intensity that he's bringing to it and how bad he wants it. I'm sorry, Brad, go ahead. I was going to say, I think I think within the context of WCW, this might be DDP's, like, first, like, televised world title shot. I think you're right. They did hype uh, it up. Yeah. Yeah. This was and it was really good. And also, we got to point out this was like Sting, Crow Sting with the world titles initial run. This was a big well, his deal. Second run because oh, yeah. this is like the, well, the vacation. Right. But I, I have to say, this wasn't really the. That was like after after they made Sting vacate it for some stupid reason, and then Sting wins it again. So he actually has a run with yeah. it at this point. I have to say, one thing One thing I will say speaks volumes about this match is I remember watching this live on TV, and it mm-hmm. is a match. I, I didn't remember the particulars other than the finish, but, like, I remember this match happened and, like, the month. And for me, that's it has to be a fairly memorable match or I it kind of gets lost in the nether regions of my brain. Yeah. So... Can we, that makes sense. Can we jump to the ending because the ending, I think. Well, is... I want to. I want to work my way up to okay. it because there's some points I wanted to make. Mm-hmm. Um, don't don't get me wrong. The ending is excellent, um, but in the early going on this, you get some mirroring uh, going on. Sting tries for a scorpion deathlock early. Oh yeah, and um, you know Paige, being as tall as he is, works his way loose, and so what happens? And Paige is in the corner, and he pull it. He's you can tell he's just like, oh, you ain't gonna, you ain't gonna get me that easy, but he's like so intense, and then uh, a little bit, not not that long after, like, and there weren't a whole lot of moves that took place in this match, like quote unquote moves, right? Because they again they did really good job with the like the less is more thing. Like there was so much intensity, they're doing stuff, but there's not like a boat. Early, anyway. There's not a boatload of foods. There was one thing that did distract me during this match, and it's the Hmm. fact that Nick Patrick is the ref, and he's, like, 6'8", and he was, like, towering over them at a couple points. You know, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Kind of seemed to, like, fade into the back for me. No, Nick Patrick's pretty good. I just... There was one point where I'm just like, holy crap, is he tall? (laughs) Um, Not long after Sting went for the deathlock, Paige went for the cutter. And so what we had, and Sting, like, Sting gets out of it. 
But what we had is this moment where these two guys have scouted each other so much that it's like, you're not going to just catch me with this. And and they after after Paige almost hits the cutter, he's standing there and he's breathing and he's looking at Sting and you can almost tell he's like, damn it, I almost had it, I almost had it. And it, you know it goes on and you know, like you mentioned the chin lock spot, he's not just laying there like he's holding it, but he's like lifting up and dropping his body down so that they can have this spot in the middle of the match that lets the crowd breathe and then build the heat back up, right? Because it's not just like, oh, you know, grab a chin lock. All right, we're going to hang out for a minute. They go into this 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 rest hold for a second, and Paige doesn't just rest. Like you said, he's moving his body. But they're doing this so the crowd's getting more and more, like, amped up for it. And, um, you know, we, we get some, some back and forth. Um, Sting feeds up into a 10 punch into the corner. Which turns into a comeback spot for Sting, and I'm I'm flipping through my notes real quick. Is this where he hits like the the like his kind of variation of the bulldog like a bunch of times in a row? Not yet. Okay. Because mm-hmm. like he slips out, like Paige is doing the ten punches in the corner. Sting slips out. He goes for the lariat with his left. Paige ducks under. Sting just stops and pivots and turns around and lariats him with his right, which was a really cool spot. I also think. It, it was a weird cut the way the video I watched of this, but I'm pretty sure there was a commercial break in here somewhere. I don't think there was. Okay, because there was a I, weird, I, there was a weird like cut in the video I watched, and I assumed that was a commercial break. But the one that I watched had the video in had the match in three parts, and they all flowed into each other. Okay. But I remember watching this live, and there was not a commercial break in the middle of it. Okay, because this. Um, I, this seemed like something that would have a commercial break in it at the yeah. time but i i could yeah. be wrong well no you're right it most of the time it would but this one didn't um, maybe we're just they were just traumatized by modern wrestling that they <laughs> if this is modern wrestling yes they would have absolutely stuck a commercial yeah. in that and they would have had a bunch more jump cuts yeah um that bucky beaver stuff going on again you know, Sting does the lariat spot, and then he drops down and he puts the chin lock on Paige because the idea is, you know, he's getting up, and I'm going to wear him down a little bit before we go further. And the announcers do this good job talking about, like, you know, how Sting's working this chin lock to wear Paige down. Like the announcers are actually talking about a chin lock, and it makes sense, right? And Paige is like fighting up, and he's fighting up, and Sting takes control, and and Paige goes into this belly to belly and he tries to go for it and that feeds in like they do the the i hit you you hit me i hit you you hit me which is great for building heat that's that's what that spot is just you're trading back and forth and the crowd's getting into it more and more and that's where you go into those sting bulldogs you know just bam 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 we had this last um Hanson and Andre did, they were really good about taking time to let the crowd breathe. What? Like, they didn't just keep everything over and over again. They'd, like, pause and let the crowd... What I liked about... What I really liked about those Sting Bulldog spots, though, is there was some... There was some... There was some flair to those where it felt like he was really driving him into the mat versus just kind of, mm-hmm. like, lazily, like, taking him down. Like, it felt like he was, like... There was some impact, like, from those... Yeah, yeah. Sting's bulldogs were always really good about that. They weren't a classic bulldog. It was like my hands on the back of your head, but my hands on the back of your head, so I'm like driving you into the mat, right? 
Um, you know, they Sting does the Bulldogs and he goes up top. Paige gets the knees up and we get this double down spot. And they've got this spot going. And they're both down there and the crowd's like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What? And by the time they get to their feet, the crowd is just lit. Like the crowd went up and down. Like it stayed pretty high most of the match, but it went up and down, right? Like, you know, so it's not like the pedals all the way to the floor all the time. And then they go into the finish. Paige has Sting in the corner and he goes for the diamond cutter. And Sting hooks the rope so Paige can't pull him out. And that's when, and Paige tries it twice. And then on the third one, Sting reaches out and hooks Paige's head. And we get the death drop Mm -hmm. for the finish. That was such a good finish. Yeah. If he just hadn't gone for that second diamond cutter, he probably could have held on a little longer. (laughs) The The crowd popped huge for that, too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, Matt. You I, you haven't gotten a chance to get much of a word in edgewise for a few minutes. No, I, I thought this was an awesome match. Yeah. Uh, I was, I I don't really remember this match, but uh, it was fantastic and maybe wistful for the days of like WCW and its heyday. Yeah. Um, I was shocked at this. Is what I really liked. I mean, at this point, they were almost a year into kind of pushing DDP as a mm-hmm. face, at least like maybe like upper mid card, but this was clearly like signaling that he could theoretically go into the main event. I mean, I guess he had already main evented, uh, with spring stampede, I think was, Mm -hmm. uh, but I mean, they're kind of trying to elevate him obviously. And I was shocked. Like sting gave him a lot in this match. They were pretty like toe to toe. And the thing that I really liked at the end was after the match, like instead of Sting just like piecing out, he makes a point to, you know, basically like pick up DDP from the mat, uh, like make sure he's up, like in the corner, okay, and kind of it was almost like a sign of respect type of thing. Oh yeah. Which I think also in the context of wrestling, like really works to elevate the guy. If you're trying to elevate this guy, then having him kind of go toe to toe with the, the champ, obviously, that's a way to elevate him. But also having the champ, the very popular, like super over champ, kind of give him a nod at the end, like that's a big deal too. It, it also didn't come up during this match, but another thing I'd like, and this is based off memory, so I could be totally wrong, but I'm pretty sure this match happened because they gave DDP the match because he was the United States champion, which was considered, I mean, and this came and went in WCW, but he was the United States champion, which made him the number one contender. So that's why this they mentioned that happened. They mentioned that at the beginning. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure. It, I, I knew I think the beginning of the match. Okay, okay. And 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 uh Matt, to build on what you said, not only did he get Paige up in the corner, he like stood on the ropes and did the diamond cutter sign mm-hmm. as as respect for Paige. And so Paige comes out and lifts Sting's hand as the winner, and it was this, you know, you get this respect back and forth from him, and the crowd was still on fire for it. It was God, I, I really love this match. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, I agree. This is probably <laughs> this is this would be up there for my favorite TV matches. I would say. Yeah, I, I call it one of my favorite overall matches. But you know, and uh, we got different. And um, I kind of I kind of agree with Matt. Like, it kind of makes me wistful for that bygone era. 
Yeah. And like there this is one of those things that just could not happen in the deficiencies of like the current WWE product. No. Yeah. No. It, this this and that's a shame because this sort of stuff could benefit a lot of people. Yeah, it could. Can you imagine God, if you had Rollins and Ricochet have a match like this, and Ricochet almost puts it away, but Rollins picks him up at the end and says, you know, this guy is for real. Rollins could just win definitively with his finish and yet still do that, and it'd be a it'd be a huge deal for them to do that. Well, see, they would do that, but then they would bury Ricochet for, like, the next month on TV. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. Or that's... whatever the fuck they did to the Revival yesterday. Hmm. I, I don't want to talk about it. Because <laughs> I just to go slightly off topic, but it it's what makes me hopeful for AEW because we were kind of talking about it before the show. But those those Dustin and Cody like back and forth promos is like the first time in like a long time with like an American well with like an American product maybe other than the Bailey Sasha stuff like where I've really had that kind of emotional connection to something with wrestling. Mm-hmm. And it makes me really hopeful for where AEW is going to go. Right. Yeah. For those who haven't seen it, it's a, uh, they're easily available like on YouTube. I think it's like number 13, number 14 yep. for AEW, um, hyping double or nothing. Uh, it is, it's really unique because obviously the, the theme of the match is brother versus brother, Dustin versus Cody, but they're doing like a different take on it. It's not just two angry brothers. It's almost, there's lots of there's layers of complexity to this mm-hmm. where Dustin they're they want hide. different things like where Dustin's just <laughs> like Dustin's like I this is my like I want to see if I can still go mm-hmm. and like you know telling him you know you need to let go of dad and Cody's like this isn't about my brother this is about my generation proving our worth yeah mm-hmm. So there are cross purposes, uh, and there there's there's contention there, but it's not specifically really about like each other so much, like a, an animosity towards each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's complex because it's like they they're brothers, they're fighting each other, but they're it's like they're they're both confused, like they they want like you said they want different things, they have different motivations, and it's almost like it's about them, but it's not about them. Yeah, it's 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 really fascinating. It's like a completely different approach to the brother versus brother. And I was talking to Shad and Brad um, over the last few days about this because I'm I'm going to be there live. I think I think in terms of actual work rate, uh, so much as that matters to people. Like I don't think that I don't think it'll be as good as Jericho Omega or the Bucks versus the Lucha Brothers. But I think it has all the potential to be like a really really great match and as like the sleeper match of the show like I, I think it could really surprise a lot of people um i'm really curious to see how it goes i think i want to, i hope that dustin can still go i mean he just had he's recovered now from double knee surgery that was like a year or two ago i think was it yeah hmm. i think so you, um you know what I'm, i really loved about the cody promo though is um when he was like talking about like the biblical like um, prodigal son thing and he's like this is what people talk about and like he actually broke the whole feud down and like a couple of like in a really like he 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 pretty much showed like how the feud was different he's like this is like the generic thing people tell you about this story 
that's totally wrong. Like, this is what this story is about. It's about how both of the so- the sons were wrong in their own way. Like, I'm comfortable, like, with who I am. Like, you know, this is this is what this is really about. Like, when he comes out of that. He's, he's right about that. Um, the thing I wanted to put in on it, by the way, was I love Dustin's, like, the grizzled veteran character thing he's doing. I really like that shot they did where, like... My last ride, but that's not the... You know... Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Brad. We lost oh, you for a second. sorry. It's okay. I was going to say, I really like that shot, that overhead shot they did of, like, Dustin kind of, like, walking in this field while he was talking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a lot of really good imagery that happened. Uh, like, uh, in, in Dustin's with the, you know, walking in the field... And the him doing the face paint thing, and you get to the end, it's like the half and half, the imagery that goes with that. But when Dustin says, you know, I didn't stay in Dad's shadow. I went out to prove that I could do this on my own, and I did in like a industry-redefining kind of way. And now I don't have to do that anymore. And, I mean, these promos are just so... I'm not going to say they're complex, but they're layered and they're nuanced and they're golly, they're really engaging. I'm going to use a hack quote from the internet, but like some there's moments in those like promos that just hit you in the feels like in a really like raw kind of way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're really good. Especially like, especially the Cody one, like is kind of like, and I, I think I think we're because we're all kind of in our we're all in our late thirties. Uh, maybe one of us is forty or close to it. <laughs> but you know you don't, you don't have to you don't have to bring that up. <laughs> but but like some of that shit Cody was saying, like when you when you're like in that late thirty periods and like you know your parents are aging and like you're kind of reflecting on where you're at in life, like some of that shit he was saying like was just like hitting me like in a very like. Like, wow, like, fuck, dude. Like, that's, like, that is, like, some emotional, like, shit you're just spewing right now. Yeah, it, it's it's very real. Let me, um, I guess I'll share, like, a, just mention something kind of personal. Like, it once you start actually losing parents, which I have, uh, and obviously Cody and Dustin both have, but we're just specifically talking about Cody. Uh, obviously, like, he lost his father. Uh, and once you actually start losing a parent, it is, for lack of a better word, it's like it's a mind fuck because it, they're kind of like cornerstones in your life. Yeah. So once you lose one of them, it's like it, your brain it struggles to rationalize it. Yeah. But it also does get you in touch with your mortality because it's like, well, yeah. hell, if, if my parent can die, that means I can die. Well, right. Um, it kind of becomes real. I, so that's that is something. It's like yeah. it adds like a gritty. Go ahead. Brad. I was gonna I'm say sorry. like I haven't lost a parent, but like um, with my dad especially, like we've we the last like two years we've hit that dichotomy switch where he needs me to like do stuff for him now, and like that power yeah. dynamic has changed in the relationship where you know that, that's yeah. That that's also like a mind fuck too. Like I, I I had to deal with that too. Like my 
my parents both got sick um and then once you actually have to start doing things for them yeah where it's like it's kind of weird because then like the dynamic does flip like you're now you're almost like the parent in the sense yeah. that you have to take care of certain things because it's it, i and i don't know like people listening to this if you have older parents but you know you're you're it's 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 weird when your dad calls you and says hey I don't think I can get this simple thing down the stairs because I can't move so well anymore. Can you do it for me? Like, it, it just, it's weird. Like, yeah. It, so, I mean, like for, for those things, like I said, I haven't lost a parent like Matt, but it really, it really, it just hits you like really. It messes with yeah, you. Yeah. Like his promo, like really spoke to me in like a weird way. Sure. Sure. So I, I yeah, those promos are really good, and it, they harken back to some of this WCW type stuff that we we had been talking about. Now, the third match we have is later on in chronology, and I'm I want to have uh, Brad set us up on this one. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna head back to the year 2002, and a at the time very fledgling promotion known as Ring of Honor. So this Ring of Honor. This match, if if I was talking about some of my favorite Ring of Honor matches, this one would be near the top, maybe at the top. I would have to really think about that. But this is um, Samoa Joe versus Loki in a. Um, did either of you remember what they called it? Was it just a fight without the, honor? The battle without honor. Okay. Yeah, it's fight without honor. But I guess I don't remember that concept. I think it was kind of just. They were doing that weird, like, everything had to be... They were doing the handshake thing, and I think this just, like, forward went through the rules. Yeah. So pretty much to set this match up with little angles, um, Loki had just lost the ROH championship to Xavier the show before, and um, he was fighting with Christopher Daniels' group called The Prophecy at the time. So pretty much what happens going into this is they hired Samoa Joe pretty much just to beat up Loki, is what the angle is here. Right. So uh, I'm going to get some of the bad things out of the way first. The announcing in this match is god-awful. God-awful. One of the announcers has a habit of Yoda speaking. As they would say, such and such, such and such is Samoa Joe. Or such and such, such and such is low-key. And it's like, dude, what? That, to me... And I don't know how true this is, but to me, that's a sign of an announcer trying too hard and reaching too far. Our ROH had some really terrible announcers for the first like couple years, and then um, it's yeah. I would say this isn't shot particularly well either. I think which is another shot against it. So with those out of the way, um, the thing I really like about this is this. Wait, wait! I got to put one more thing in there to get out of the way. This is a personal bias. God, I hate Loki. I'm done. I don't, I'm done. I don't Go think ahead. he was particularly bad in this match. Maybe not, but that's this match is not why I hate Loki. Okay. Um, I, I hate Loki because I have seen, like, the very first Ring of Honor show. I know I talked about it last podcast. The where the main was Loki, Christopher Daniels, and Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan, whatever you, whatever you know him as now. Loki didn't stay down and sell the entire match. The whole match was Loki versus one of the other guys. He didn't protect the people he worked with. He'd just haul off and kick people in the face. And then he would get pissy 
if he took if he people were putting receipts on him, mm-hmm. he took himself entirely too seri- seriously. He was a dick who burned bridges pretty much everywhere he went. Why are you still doing that? Yeah. Oh yeah. I just hate low key. I, I will say though, um, I, I have a lot of issues with him, but I do love his current gimmick where he like wears the suit and tie and the gloves when he wrestles. Oh, he, he looks wants to be Agent Forty Seven. Yeah, he looks. Yeah, I was about to say that he looks just like uh, Agent Forty Seven from Hitman. It's like the Hitman. But what, the cool, it's like a Hitman cosplay, really. The cool thing though yeah. is he does like spots with his ties. Like a lot of times, guys will like pull him off the top rope by his tie and stuff, which is which is fun. But anyway, so we, we talked. We kind of talked about the grime and the grit of like that Hanson and Andre match, and I think this is also this also has that going where. You're kind of not sure if they're not just like getting pissed off and like stiffing each other for real, and it has like yeah. there's a very uncooperative like um there's a very uncooperative feel to it, which I think really adds to it and um it's really hard to like give a blow by blow because pretty much what this match is is it's pretty much Loki and Joe just beating the piss out of each other that's a very yeah. accurate description. There's really most of the matches like strikes. It's not even wrestling per se. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so there's, there's some. Joe does his like. Yeah. This... Joe does his like kind of like his like swat. You know, like his like kick swath thing. Mm, and I think yeah. there's a. This is also for those who who want to watch this match. It's on YouTube. It's a very young, very blonde. <laughs> Some yeah. All three of these matches are on YouTube, and, and so they're you know they're easy to look up. I would I would mute the Loki and Samojo match. <laughs> well, you're gonna miss out on some of the impact sounds. So yeah, that would be that, it. that's true. But man, like they had to have they had to have been bruised up messes after after this. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, it, not quite as bad as PCOV Walter, but no, I'm yeah. sure they did. Um, so, Shad, as someone that doesn't like Loki, what did you think of this match? I mean, if I had watched the same match with someone other than Loki in that spot, I probably would have enjoyed it more because that's how much I... Loki has... An- another problem I didn't mention earlier is, you know, his... I want to be a raging badass gimmick, but I'm what like five seven, and weigh what like a buck thirty, <clears throat> maybe more. I don't know. I will give him credit here; he was super ripped for this match, so it was. At oh, least- he was super ripped. But if you're gonna have some, you know, Joe coming in to murder him makes sense. You look at him, you look at Joe, and it's like, I know that you, you know, you're super ripped and all that kind of stuff. But you look, <clears throat> when we had Alex Angel on a while back, his point about you know how hard it would be to buy Finn Balor going over Lesnar. That's the dynamic that I got out of this. And low-key just wanting to be... <clears throat> hold on, let me see. If I, I just want to be the super-ass kicker guy. And like, dude, you ain't big enough to be that. So you have this, and you want me to buy that he can stand toe-to-toe with Joe and take all this. Um, like I said, if it, if it had been the exact same match with somebody else, I would have liked it a lot more. As someone who does not like Loki at all, I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. Um, he did have his no sell tendencies, which bothered me. The, early on in the match, Joe starts just going to town on on Loki's leg, which I think they were talking about an ankle injury he had from dealing with the prophecy. Uh, yeah, because they um, 
they pretty much jumped him pretty bad when he lost the belt to Xavier. So he was kind of yeah. he was kind of banged up from that match from like a month earlier. Okay, so he has this, um, you know, he has this pre-existing injury that Joe is preying on, and Joe's like locking him down. He's like, he's not just like single leg crabbing him. He's like lion tamering him with it, right? And then Loki gets out, gets up, kicks Joe in the head, like does a bunch of stuff, kicks Joe in the head, and he's standing there with like in like his like feet spread, you know, the the super badass. What what I did and we're hitting on the crux of my, part of my issue with it. What what I did what I what I thought was really good about this match though, and where. If this was in the WWE or in a lot of promotions now and would fuck it all up, is none of them tried to really go for their signature spots because that would get in the way of hurting each other. That's a really good point. Which I think a lot of guys would get wrong now because yeah, they'd want to yeah. get their stuff in. Whereas this, they're just yeah. like, and I really liked like the the last bit where where I thought it was really cool is like. Where they just kind of stare each other down, and while they're staring each other down, they just start pulling their knee pads down and taking their elbow pads off, because now they're really they just want to like inflict more pain on each other. Yeah, I thought yeah I thought that was like a pretty cool stare down, and I don't think I've quite seen that before in a match or since. So I mean that was pretty original. I may have inadvertently ripped off something like that once, but it wasn't to that extent. Matt, it sounded like you were going to say something. I'm kind of with you, uh, and I was thinking when I watched this, because this was the the match I liked least. Uh, it's not that I didn't like it. I actually did think it was a good match. I just I had some trouble, I guess, connecting with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was trying to rack my brain, like, why why am I not as emotionally connected to this match? Like, what, what's what's the issue here? Why can't I just, you know, get into it? And I'm thinking it's partly... Because I didn't find it, I, I didn't really find it believable, like you, like you talked about. And I don't, I don't per se have these issues with Loki that you do. I think he is kind of like a, he's a guy who, to me, he's he was good enough that he could have been something more than he ultimately has wound up being in the mm-hmm. industry. But his his personal failings and personality kind of he sabotages himself so many times. Yeah, I think we could do uh, we could do a whole show on I think low-key and yeah stuff hmm. yeah and i thought the match was interesting it was kind of like a different concept because it was almost more like a work shoot uh i won't say mma I'll, I'll say more like what was what were some of the promotions in japan like in the 90s that kind of oh, did uh, this was it like Pan bat, Craze, battle arts pancreas yeah. uh, shuto and rings oh that's right rings definitely yeah like uh wasn't in uh was that akira Maeda's uh, Akira Maeda was UWFI, Maeda. I think. Oh uh, yeah, okay. UWFI is like definitely something I was thinking of. So it's like more like a, almost like a work shoot type of thing. Uh, it was kind of like that, uh, and that was interesting. But and I also feel, I feel not just because like, I'm not I'm not a big fan of low key. I think it was also maybe I'm thinking more. I, I just can't stop thinking about like modern day Joe and I'm kind of comparing it to then because uh, this is a different Joe like th- this you know, 17 years younger and this is 16 yeah. years younger Joe and this is his ROH uh, debut which I think um... yeah he he's much younger he's smaller 
Um, still a great worker even back then, but I, I get, maybe I'm kind of conflict conflating the two, but to me, it just, it, I guess I, I don't think I connected because at the end, like I just didn't buy that Loki could beat him right. or if he was going to beat him, even if it was like, Oh, he like, he somehow gets Joe in a submission and Joe has a tap. It's like, okay, that, that might be believable if you're doing this whole, this is quasi real. It's kind of a shoot type of thing. Yeah. But him just being like, I'm going to brutalize you with kicks and everything where it's going to be a ref stoppage or yeah. I can pin you or whatever. It's like it, that to me, it just, uh, I'm sorry. I didn't buy it. Like, no. And, and that's, that's, that's part of Loki's thing is that he has to be that way. I think, and I did I, I think if contextually you had seen like the low-key matches leading into this from ROH, like, and then this match, I think it would have been better because you would have had like his portrayal, like within like that atmosphere to go by. But I mean, look, even in, in a real fight, then what you have is mass and size matters a whole lot. And so in a, in a straight up fight, where they're not kind of working with each other, you know, Joe would have taken him apart. Like, I don't, I, you know, they're laying it in, but they're working with each other. That's pretty clear. The, the thing is, that kind of size and mass is a huge obstacle to overcome, and I don't care how many 80s movies were about it. I don't care, you know, there's a crazy amount of training and luck that comes into having a smaller guy be able to, to take out a big guy like that. I, I think better announcers might have helped this with that, though, because they kind of did try, but they weren't good enough to really, like, stick to that for any length of time. Like, really, because they kind of touched briefly on, like, the longer the match goes, like, probably it'll help Loki more, which I think if they had stuck kind of to that more and maybe been a little... Yeah. A little smarter with their commentary, it could have helped. Like, but I I can see your problems with it. Um, Bear in mind, neither, Matt and I both said we don't think it's bad. I just have a bias. I can't. Get yeah, I under, and I understand that. Like, he's he's a very hateable person sometimes. Yeah. Uh, just just wait. Like this episode will go out there, and then we'll get a message on one of our. Our social media is from looking beyond. Who's the one that said he hates me? All right, okay. Hey, I'll say something nice about him. Is um, he was one of the best parts of TNA in like the first year? Loki. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I think he's a good worker. Like I, I've enjoyed quite a few of his matches. It's just I don't know. I, I just didn't. I just didn't buy it in this in this particular match. I, and I feel I, bad because I, I don't I'm not one of those people who thinks like, oh, the, the small guy shouldn't be beating the big guy. I mean, obviously, if you're dealing with something like Ray Mysterio versus the big show, like you need you need to kind of contrive something. If he's you need. Yeah, show. you yeah. need you need some serious extenuating circumstances. If you're having that much of a disparity. Uh, but I don't think that, you know, in it, a guy like Loki's size, like per se, would not be able to beat. Joe, it's just I I just didn't buy it here for some reason. Like I don't yeah. know, I I couldn't. It it didn't work for me. So with right. with your issues, would you guys still recommend this to like another person? Like for the it's it it falls into the, I would call it a, a category of spectacle as well. For all the issues I have with it, it is still spectacle in the way that they just unload on each other. So yeah, it's it's worth watching. And it's also very much a glimpse into what. 
um, that era was like in the the scene of not one of the major promotions. I so I think it's yeah yeah I'd say watch it. I think it's I think I'm surprised no one's like ripped this match off because I think if like someone in WWE did this on a pay per view for like a grudge match, I think this would go over like huge on a big stage. That, that's something I've kind of begged for in a few matches, you know. So, yeah, I, I, it would have been to have a grudge match like that. I think should happen more. I absolutely think it should happen more. I have to say though, I, I really appreciate wrestle even indies like having good cameras now because man, like, ooh, this looks worse yeah. than the New Japan footage by a lot. <laughs> It's really kind of grainy, but I felt like that also added to the um, that gritty feel that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. So that's yeah, that was good stuff. I, you're you are right. The the lack of polish did like add to the atmosphere a little, a little bit with it. Yeah, it's just God. I just hate low key so much. I am. Um... I, I've had a very he and I have had a very um, back and forth relationship as far as as far as um, my opinion of him. Because mm-hmm. the thing is, like, I get annoyed at him and like the way he burns his bridges. But man, even today, that guy can still go somewhere and like just pull some like amazing match out of his ass. Well, I mean, he'll still. Um... You know, he'll still go and he'll do athletic stuff, and that'll be cool. I'll, I think I also have to admit that he, he, Loki had a, a, a bad habit of attaching, like, really cringy names to stuff. And it some of them were moves I was going to, like, I was planning on using. <laughs> you know, the, the Dragon Sleeper Camel Clutch? But man, like, I, that name I, WWE yeah. gave him was just the fucking worst. The the cabal. cabal. Yeah. Wasn't that supposed to be like Japanese for warrior or something? I don't know. It just sucked. My impression at the time is he picked it for himself. And if that's the it just somebody just be like, yo man, like that ain't cool. Like don't do just, that. Just just don't don't. Yeah. That's not don't yeah. There's okay. It, it it's that's another thing that I had is that his his trying so hard comes off as really cringy, and everything he did was a dragon something or other or something or other dragon. And <laughs> like you know, watching the finish to this match annoyed me too. And I know Brad, you've said that it's kind of a product of how he was being portrayed and that sort of stuff. But you know, in the course of this match, these guys are beating the crap out of each other. What happens at the end? Loki basically punches Joe a bunch of times, and Joe falls down and gets pinned. Yeah, but could you could you imagine though? Like, think about this today. Like, so Loki was like the top dog there. Could you think of like someone debuting in the WWE and like Roman Reigns or someone pretty much has to kick them in the head until they're knocked out and pins them for like their first match? Like, it would be like make that would be like debuting with a splash. Then, but then you've. The the thing I get out of the angle is that that means that this hired gun you brought in to take him apart was not a good choice because he couldn't seal the deal. Well, it it depends on 
It depends on... Because a lot of those angles, like the guy that they would bring in, weren't necessarily meant to beat them. They were just meant to soften them up. And I mean... It, this We're butting up against... My bias is also influencing my suspension of disbelief. And I, I know that's happening. Um, and, you know, it's I've already enumerated why, but it's the other thing that happens is you know in a in a in an actual throwdown yeah if you're if you're in if you're more fit you're going to be able to to go harder and longer but if these guys were both going like if I had a match with a smaller guy I would try and feed him multiple spots to balance one I would do because you know me doing one thing to someone I'm a whole lot bigger than would be the equivalent of them doing like two or three things to me. And so therefore every every hit that Joe landed should have been worth more than what Loki was landing, but to have Loki still standing there, punch Joe a bunch of times, pin him and then hop up like oh, I'm the super badass is like hey, he didn't sell again, right? I, I will I will say the to to a couple of things of that though. I think they had oops sorry i popped my own earbud out um they didn't use the ropes like they didn't do an irish whip because i think they smartly kept that out of the equation but that does limit the smaller guy getting more hope spots and i tend to think yeah. if you look at the strike exchanges joe would hit one or two and loki would usually flurry attack him back so i think they i think they work that element in there a little bit and um okay because even like the end, I mean, I know I know what you're saying for the suspension of disbelief, but I mean, Loki did like batter him like severely, like to get the pinfall. Yeah. It wasn't like he hit some like knockout kick. I mean, he probably what was that like ten or twelve kicks, probably like right to his head, like too. No, it was it was all punches. It, it wasn't even. I, well, maybe maybe there were some kicks, but it ended with punches. Well, remember though, he got his like head down right before that final floor where he was just like pretty much kicking him like right in the. I, I don't remember, but I also think it's really crappy of you to do do that to somebody when you know you're not going to get a receipt because you're going into the finish. So, uh, again, this is my bias showing. I, I know that. I, to our listeners out there, I apologize. I know it's happening, but I, it's like Thunderdome. I just can't get beyond it. So I guess you don't want to watch the one where Loki like, murders Necro Butcher for like 20 minutes? <laughs> You know, I, I will watch it. It's just I, I know that that's a thing going in. Also, I there's a there's a very large spot in my heart for Joe. So it, it's actually when we do this again, we should watch Joe versus Necro Butcher. Oh my god! We should do we should do it. We should do a Necro Butcher hour sometime and do Super Dragon versus Necro Butcher, Samoa Joe versus Necro Butcher, and Loki versus Necro Butcher. Oh man. And they're all good matches. Like it's... I'm just, I'm just gonna feel bad for Necro Butcher for an hour. Hey man, you know, <laughs> you know, you know what's? I know we've talked about it on the show before, but you need to watch like shoot interviews with Necro Butcher because he, he's great to listen to talk. Like this guy went to college at like 16 just so he could be a deathmatch wrestler. Yeah, I know. Like what he graduated college at something 18, 19, something like that. Yep crazy wasn't it and then his decision was to go do deathmatch like 
I know he chose his path. He's a smart guy. I'm still going to feel bad for him. No, but like, but they asked him some question about like, about his life. And he's like, he's like, I traveled the world. Like I did all this stuff and someone else paid for it because of my, my career. Like I have nothing to regret. I understand that. I'm just, I'm still going to feel bad for how jacked, you know, I cringed in, in, in his scene in the wrestler when he, you know, staple gunned himself in the chest right you know that's the staple gun spots right but you know to see someone do that to him i'm still just you know i had to hang it up because of how hurt i got and i didn't have any you know i wasn't having people unload on me like that it just it, it makes me cringe to see that i guess he he found his golden goose though so i i'd still just i'd feel bad right He's a he's just, like I said he's I'm not a deathmatch guy but the, I just have a soft spot in my heart for Necro Butcher. Matt, yeah. what were you gonna say? No, I agree. Uh, did you guys see him? Uh, his appearance on or just it, footage or photos of him from his appearances uh, WrestleMania weekend? Yeah, I saw uh-uh. him. He's a dude who is like he's in his forties and he looks like he's ten years older than he actually is. Yeah. Yeah. He looks like he's had a hard life. Yeah. Yeah. Some of those dudes just some of those dudes just just have an old like face. Well, especially when you have things slammed into it like he did. Yeah. He was not kind to his body. No, no. I I wish in hindsight I wish I'd been kinder to mine. So I I also think it's interesting because we kind of set out to do this, but we pick something from. We picked one thing from the 80s, one thing from the 90s, and one thing from the 2000s. So we kind of hit the decades, which uh, I thought was an interesting choice on our part. We also, I don't, not intentionally, but we ended up with very different styles in what we were, you know, we ended up with with this, this Japanese brawl from the 80s. We ended up with a classic uh, Monday Night Wars match, and then we ended up with this like super indies ring of honor match except not exactly super indies so they're very different styles too and i think it's hilarious that if you the one we picked for ring of honor is not something you'd expect to see in ring of honor yeah what that's that's you're right you're right You know, you guys out there, like I said, we're on YouTube. Go see him. Um, Matt, I, you, you've been quiet for a minute. I want to give you an opportunity to, to get something in if you have a... No, I, I actually don't. I was just uh, reading up on Necro Butcher because I'm actually now... I, I remember, like, being a fan back in the day. So I was just kind of seeing... Well, he, he hasn't really been up to... He retired in, like, three years ago. Uh, I'm just kind of stunned that he actually came back. Yeah. You know, he's... um. He is a guy that had a mystique about him in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. He was almost, I know it's not quite appropriate, but he, I want to say he was almost like Bruiser Brody-esque with his like mystique for a long time. Except for the stiffing promoters part. Yeah, that's low key. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's You know, true. just like when, when, when he was coming out, you just knew like some, like something crazy was going to happen. That's true. 
That's that's a very good point. I'll have to go, I know the low-key Necro Butcher match is on YouTube. <laughs> we'll have to uh, we'll have to we'll have to do this episode at some point in the future. Sure. Well, we'll put that on our list, right? We've yeah. got a list of we've got a list of stuff that we intend to do, but uh, I think I think next one we might we might do something very different. We've kind of been talking about that before we went live, but uh, so um, Brad, I know you'd you'd mentioned it earlier. Did you want to snowflake any of the other, the other two matches we had? Or um, I would give Sting DDP probably three and a half or three and three fourths, and I'd give um, Loki and Joe about four ish. That's interesting. I, I I would have totally given DDP Sting four easy, but I'm biased on that one. That's one of my favorite matches. So I. Uh, I they would be they're about in i would give them they would populate about the same area of like good to me though okay yeah i can see that like i think i think um hansen and andre are far is far and away better than both of these matches but i think those two matches are very good too it's the difference between like a match that is all time like could probably arguably be on like if you had a top 100 matches could probably find itself somewhere on there versus like two really good matches i would there i don't know how much better but they're very different so i think they're hard to compare um and and you know we've at the moment you know I mean, neither Stinger Page work anymore, but at the moment, neither of them have the mythic quality that Andre or Hansen had too. So there's there's some of that that rolls in. It's a they're they're all just so very different. It's it's hard to compare them. I also feel like if you watched Andre and Hansen more than once, I feel like you would pick up things each time you watched it. Whereas I don't necessarily think you do that with the other two matches. Maybe DDP and Sting, you might pick up some subtleties, but mm-hmm. it feels like there's layers to the Hanson-Andre match. Yeah, I would agree. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Well, okay. Like I said, we're Matt, you, you didn't have... Is there anything you wanted to say before we got to... Before we nah. wrapped or... Okay. No, I don't have any, I don't have any <laughs> closing thoughts. Uh, no closing I, I thoughts? Agree, no, I would agree with the Andre... Um, handsome match was kind of like a revelation to me because i had never seen it and oh it was yeah fantastic uh the sting ddp match was great to see like i said i i it's an awesome match the crowd is hot that i think adds a whole another layer to it it made me kind of miss uh late 90s wcw yeah uh and i didn't i didn't hate the joe loki match i think i just i don't know i, I just didn't get connected to it um but that's fine. I don't. And <laughs> not every match has to be like my personal favorite. No, I did think it was right. a good match overall. I, there's yeah. been sometimes just a good match just doesn't hit you. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I just gotta go uh, back earlier this year. Like I think that was my that was how I was with the Ibushi Osprey match from Wrestle Kingdom. See, it's a technically it's a technically good match that I kind of didn't care for. See, I felt like that match was like an emotionless like shell of a match. I would agree. I think I, that's why I, that's why I describe it as technically good. Like from a technical perspective, they did a good job. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. That match didn't resonate with me either. It just happens sometimes. Or or maybe you have well-established biases that you recognize are the problem that get in your way. Or, you know, uh, I, I feel like that I feel like that with a lot of the WWE stuff, barring like a couple of things here and there, like there's just even when something's good, there's just this there's just this disconnect between what it's going for and like what I'm getting. There are some of them, um, but like there have been there have been some recently that I've I've been able to really enjoy and get invested in. Most of them involving AJ Styles. <laughs> I was gonna say Co- the Kofi stuff has been about all I've yeah. like been able to latch on to. It here's this is a big thing because like in hindsight, you know I love the Sting DDP match. I remember it because of how much I enjoyed it. Uh, there was a lot of main events on Nitro that were just garbage though. And I'm not remember remembering those. I don't think, this, you know, we, we look back. Was this a main event or was this like the middle of the show? I feel like this, it was, it was the middle of the show. Okay. That's what I thought. The main, I can't remember what the main was. Um, but you know, there was a lot of like, you know, bad stuff that happened too. And we're not hearkening back. We're remembering that stuff that really got us involved and the other thing is that's the stuff we go back and watch. So I don't want to say that one era was better about it than the others because that's kind of hard to quantify. And it it does, I will admit, it feels like right now that there's not as much going on that gets me as invested. You kind of have to, if you want something to be super invested in and like things to enjoy, you kind of have to go outside of the WWE for your wrestling fix. Like you can find a lot, you can find about anything you want on the indies, but like WWE just, I mean, well, and there's a certain amount of familiarity that goes with it too. That um, I think that 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 that's a big component. Is that's been the only game in they're the biggest game in in the country for in the states anyway for a while, and so there's it, it, it's it's. You know, you're going to run into that because that's what most folks that watch wrestling are familiar with. You know, the indie stuff is still on the indies and just doesn't have the same exposure. Not because it shouldn't, but it just doesn't, you know? And I mean, so I don't think it's just us, though, because looking at WWE's ratings, like, they are losing yeah. people in droves. They are hemorrhaging people, yeah. That's, Matt, that is the perfect... Yeah, that's the perfect verb for it. Hemorrhaging, yeah. yeah. Hemorrhaging, yeah. So, They're there's, there's probably a, lar- a longer argument or discussion we can have about their ratings and what's going on. I, but yeah, I, I kind of subscribe to what Brian Alvarez is saying, and I think some of the trends bear it out that a lot. Of, it's not all his fault, but a good portion of it is the push of Baron Corbin. I think there's there's at least something to it. Whether it's his fault or that it that it's Corbin, I I think I think, and they they talked about it on some other shows, but um, I listened to Meltzer on some other things, and there's some theories wondering if it has to do with the women, and I don't know if 
what I think about that. I don't know that I can agree with that. Because, I don't like yeah. A I, year I don't think ago, that I agree with that. Yeah, even a year ago, we were having what Becky Sasha. They were doing like main eventing Hell in the Cell and stuff like that. I and so I don't. I can't buy necessarily that that's the thing. I. I think I might agree with it if it's outside of Rhonda and Becky. Like, when you're getting into, like, Alexa Bliss getting, like, a lot of screen time, I could see that mm-hmm. being a net negative. But um, but not enough to have to no, no, drag no, 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 down no. as much as they have. I, I, can't, I can't even hang a whole lot on her. I think the thing I would have to hang it on is just how bad or how uninteresting booking has been for the last year nothing ever happens and so or gets resolved it's there's so much 50 50 no one is a definitive winner because everybody's got to stay on the same playing field and this is a horse i know we've beaten in the past but if that's the case you know it, it's it's not working also you also oh Go ahead. I was going to say, also, if you look at the trends the last time a certain someone was champion, uh, the they were hemorrhaging viewers during his previous title reign, too. Kofi Kingston. No. <laughs> no, yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know that he's... I, I, I don't know. That might be my personal bias because I've I've said, shared before. Like I, I like Seth Rollins. I think he's a good worker. Uh, he's not a guy who I put the main title on, at least not for any real length of time. He'd pr- probably just be like a transitional champion, but I don't think that's where they're going to go. Like they, I don't, I don't see any like change. And their problem, part of their problem, at least on Raw, is that even with the superstar shakeup. They don't really have strong heels. No, and like, no, I... um, nothing goes anywhere. They're like, like the Sami Zayn thing. Like, why should I give a fuck? I'm convinced, and you will not convince me otherwise, that the Sami Zayn gimmick where he's trashing the fans is literally just, you know, Vince railing at the fans. I'm pretty like, sure you're right. He's. Yeah. yeah, it's that entire gimmick is just to be a mouthpiece uh, for Vince being like yelling at the fans for not taking all the crap. To. Well, yeah, taking all the crap that's being force fed to us and uh, asking for seconds. I was um, gonna. I'll, I'll point this out. I know we're we've gotten on this train, uh, so we're we're here for a minute. But it's gotten bad enough at the road dog one of the the writers or, or head producers or whatever for SmackDown because he said, I can't he hasn't said this but you can kind of infer, I'm not going to spend you know, five days getting a show ready to have Vince rewrite it four hours before it goes live and then him yell at me when the ratings don't go up and it, that's you know what? I absolutely agree with that. I can't, you know, to 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 put the work in to try and get everything set. And and yes, Road Dog has been out of touch uh, as well, like during the during the Becky push and stuff like that. But you know, if you're going to sit down, you're going to do all this work to get everything ready, and then 
it's like, well, no, we're going to do this instead. And it's like, you know, I spent a week writing this and setting it up. And I have reasons behind it and something I'm going for. But now you're just going to say, no, we're not going to do that so that I can, uh, you know, I can I can just do this what I want to. Why do I bother writing everything? Well, it's because it's your job. It's like, well, not anymore. It's not. And look at look at like some of the other things like the Becky Lynch thing. Like she can't fucking get away from Charlotte. Yeah, it, because again, uh, they really show their hand, or maybe it's Vince. I don't know. I don't know what the thing is, but it, they always look. They want they want Charlotte to be the main female wrestler. Like that's really the long or short of it. Like I'm convinced yeah. of that. Back when they, if people have short memories. And I know that that's easy to do because in, de- in the WWE, you're not really supposed to remember things past, like, I guess, three months or something. But uh, they forget that back when they were booking the Charlotte-Becky thing, the feud, like, from, from, like, last summer, it was presented as Becky was the heel because she got pissed that her opportunity was stolen from her. And because she, on her kind of own initiative, people, people were – fans were, like, incensed about that, so they're backing her. That's one. And then on her own initiative was kind of showing charisma and fire and everything that she suddenly got all this groundswell of support. And then they piggybacked on that and she actually blew up to be like a big deal. Mm-hmm. But even back then, like they were clearly showing from the beginning. It's like, oh, no, actually, she's the she's the heel. And then when that was getting like wildly rejected, they tried to do like a tweener thing. And then when that got rejected, too, they were finally like, oh, well, fine. Like we can put the title on her and she'll just be like a Stone Cold Steve Austin type face where she's kind of like this badass. But they didn't want that. They wanted Charlotte. Yeah. And then of course like they they forced Charlotte into the WrestleMania match and there was all these sort of like in fairness logical arguments where it's like well Rousey's going to go out so you want to have your two biggest stars in there so they can both get a rub. It's like okay that's logical, but it's like at some point like when is it dawn on people that really it's it's as simple as it you think it is you don't want it to be true but the, the simplicity of it is that they see charlotte as the main star they don't care about kind of anyone else beyond that at least not becky i guess to a secondary extent they see people like alexa bliss as a star or maybe lacey evans now but yeah but going to new new charlotte as becky yeah, calls but, her but but going to the charlotte becky thing like the lacey evans and becky stuff is so much more interesting than any of the Charlotte and Becky stuff has been in a long time. Because the Charlotte stuff is played out at this point. But, but, and I yeah. say that as someone who is very much a Charlotte fan, but it's like, move her on to somebody else. But she's not good in this, like, face role either. Like, at least Lacey Evans is, like, playing a character well. And at least she's a heel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, like... It's... Because, like, I haven't seen a lot of Lacey Evans, but I've seen, like, some of her stuff with Becky. I'm like, oh, okay, that's kind of interesting. Like, I kind of want to see a match with them. And they're like, oh, we're going with, like, Charlotte and Becky at Money in the Bank. And it's like, why don't you do Lacey and... Well, they are. They're doing both. Charlotte, or not Charlotte, Becky has said, I'll do both of them. <sighs> and so she's she's having two matches. Yeah, I wouldn't um, trust you're going to see no. Becky two belts no. beyond this paper. I, I wouldn't either. And I, I mean, so, I guess... They're so clearly telegraphing that they're going to have her lose, I would guess, the SmackDown, Smackdown. title to yeah. to Charlotte. Because they've already they've already like established that 
the two belt thing is that the titles aren't unified. It's that they are separate titles. So if she loses one of them, then she, whichever one that she's still like champion of, assuming she keeps at least one, then she's, she's quote unquote on that brand. So I fully believe they'll just get, they'll put the title right back on Charlotte. Well, they and, have said that once, once Becky is not a title, title holder anymore, that she's going to be on raw. Okay. Well, they've already established that. All yeah. Right. See, I, yeah. But I think I think they're going to put it on Charlotte, and then it's like, well, then who the fuck is Charlotte going to feud with? Yeah. They, they they have like, I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing like Oscar. Yeah, but she's again, in a tag team have, now. Yeah, they're they're focusing on the tag team titles with her. Yeah. But see, here's the so here's the thing with that too, though is is why don't you why don't you gasp, put it on Lacey Evans, and do something different. Well, I don't want him to. I don't want him to. If if Becky is going to be on Raw, I don't want him to take the title off of her because we've spent so long to get to this point. On the other hand, I would really be more interested to see somebody else be the one who took the SmackDown title from Becky, because then we could have a new dynamic. Like maybe she shows up, whoever it could be. Take your pick on SmackDown with that title, and then Charlotte's like, oh, you gotta beat me. Well, at least Charlotte's working with somebody else, and we get to see something different. And then uh, you have an opportunity to build up somebody else. Or put it on Bailey's. It's like, seriously. Yeah. Can you can you imagine how cool it would be to have pissed-off face Bailey versus Charlotte and you get to have this thing where Charlotte was like, I was not prepared for how pissed off Bailey is right now. Like, Bailey's still a face, but it'd be like, um, I was not quite, kind of prepared for this. And then you, when you actually have the match, Charlotte gets very technical in trying to trying to shut her down so she can't use the Bailey to belly and stuff like that. So, I have a question for you guys. Do you think the women's tag titles will be a thing a year from now? I think it'll still be there. I don't think they're going to get rid of them. But I mean, they broke up all but, the teams. Uh, they broke up the Riot the, Squad, and then they broke up um, Bailey and Sasha, obviously. Yeah, there are. Um, and Aya broke both of her knees. Yeah, I, I'm. I think that there will still be. Um. I think they'll still be around because WWE is not real big on getting rid of belts. They really need like to... how long? How long did it take for them to unify the old hardcore and the old U.S. titles with the Intercontinental Belt? Right. Yeah. I mean, it, I think that's it. Took them years to do that because finally they were like, "Ah, God, we got too much to keep track of." And they've really needed to call their belts for a while. Oh, they do. Yeah. I, I'm so. with. I'm actually with Shad. I think that they'll still be around, but if you're talking about will they be like a big featured thing that that's booked? No, I don't. I don't think so. If I was running WWE, I would unify the world titles back together. I would unify the tag titles. I would unify the women's singles championship, and I might keep the U.S. and Intercontinental titles separate. I absolutely would. But I would unify the rest of that stuff. I'd probably get rid of the cruiserweight belt or unify that with like the NXT belt and just have them like on 205 Live or something. 
Well, you need to have if if you're going to have them have their own show, there needs to be a prize worth fighting for. But um, I think that like the one thing I like that WCW did is they had the world title and they had the U.S. title, but they also had the TV title. So they had the stepping stone. The U.S. would could be the stepping stone to the world title, right? If we give you a U.S. title run and treat you, you know, treat you well with it, then that shows that you could you could potentially hold the world title well, right? The TV title was there, we're going to test the waters with you and see how you do belt. And, you know, it worked for it worked for Booker T, and it worked for Voldemort, and, um, and you know, folks like that. Like, there was a lot of benefit to doing it that way. Uh, but that's not, you know, we're, we're not getting... And in the later runs of, of WCW, we didn't get this either. But we're not getting enough, um, you know, there's not enough thought going in about building up people long term. You know, that's 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 the uh, that's the problem I'm running into. I, I, I'm just running into like indifference, like to everything. Well, like even the Bray thing, like I know people are excited about that and you're excited about it, but I just. <laughs> I'm just like, what's the point? Like, he's never going to, like, do anything significant because he's not, he's not their goal. He's not one of their golden boys. Like, they'll just, he'll just job to Seth Rollins or Roman Reigns, like, at a key point where he'll just, everyone will realize they shouldn't care and it'll just be like it was. (sighs) Yeah, again, this is like a, it's like a larger argument we could make. We could talk for an an hour about this, but they are, they've gotten appreciably worse with who they favor to the point where it's it's absurd it's it's it is absurd and it's like even someone as awful as he could be as crazy and like out of left field as he could be even like vince russo got that certain people yes obviously you're going to push them more than others but then people in the mid card it's like well you protect them by you by having them you give them something to do, and then you don't do stupid things that make them seem like, well, why should I care about this person? They're clearly unimportant. Russo could do the first part, but not the second part real yeah. well. He could yeah. give you something to do, but the problem was, it would in a lot of cases, it would end up being stupid and no one would care. It would be, but at least it's the idea, it's this concept that... It, you're supposed to care about these characters in some way. Mm-hmm. Whereas if, if you're have, I mean, they're kind of, they've, they've been trying to, I guess, rehab Finn Balor, but it's like, how, how long was it like, well, why should I care about Finn Balor? Like, clearly I don't care about him. Right. He's going to job out. And they still like, even then they're not really, it's really not the case. Cause it's like, how many, not that long ago. It's like parody booking with Bobby, Bobby. Yeah. Le- and yeah, it's like why can't you just have him fucking? And now they're move to SmackDown. Okay, top face, but he's built up because he he's had some wins. Yeah, but like and look at look at like the stuff like that they do to their talent though. Like look at the Sasha and Bailey like situation where, I mean, I totally get why Sasha wants to quit. Like that was that was like really shitty like talent management. Yeah. Well, they don't they don't have good talent management anymore because they went from what they went from Jim Ross to Johnny Ace and Johnny Aces was bad enough that it became a joke. Well, you know, um, 
Shane Helms had like nice things to say about Johnny Ace and some of the other guys. Shane Helms Shane Helms has nice things to say about everybody. No, but he Shane Helms like was like me. I, I he doesn't burn bridges anywhere. But, I didn't I tried not to burn bridges he anywhere. Said, too. Like, but like some other guys have had some nice things to say about him, but like he said like, you know, when they fired him that like Johnny Ace was pretty like you know upset about it. And and I do have it. I do have. I I will say this, like in defense of those guys too, is it's hard to tell where they start, where like where they end and Vince begins, because sometimes like, yeah, you might have a problem with Johnny Ace, but you don't know if that wasn't Vince telling him to do that. Yeah, yeah, that's that. Well. I think that's that's a soapbox we can get in on for another day. Yeah. Uh, for now, though, we got to have an episode where we got to talk about three very different matches. We got to, to talk about some very different uh, perspectives, and I thought that was really cool. So we hope you all enjoyed it. Oh, um, and one thing before we go is next week is our podcast one-year anniversary, episode 52. One year! Episode episode fifty two. It's been a year. Well, I'll I'll try not to do a bad rendition of "Looks Like We Made It" yep. or something like and that. And we are celebrating <laughs> our one year anniversary by not talking about wrestling, but we're not going to tell you what we're talking about. <laughs> so it'll be it ought to be fun. Um, like I said, we're going to do something a little bit different. Just just mix it up a little bit. So, all right. Well, everyone, we look forward to uh, we look forward to hearing from you on our social media platforms. Um, remember to visit Collar and Elbow. Uh, give Epico Cologne a follow on Instagram. This is Shad with Matt and Brad. Uh, we've been in three corners. You're in the fourth. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>